0: Instead of just speaking. So there has to be a great deal of care between the relationship between man and God, and we certainly cannot take anything for granted. It is a heavenly, a heavenly, yeah, it's heavenly, but a heavy, I meant, responsibility to be put in a position where God wants to use you for his purposes. And I'm telling you, it's not just two witnesses at the end who have that responsibility. We've covered that before. But he has called what I have called here a setup crew to prepare a place. And then he is going to call his remnant 10% of what was of the Worldwide Church of God. And I do believe it is limited almost to that. He may make a few exceptions here and there. But those are the ones he called and those that he will use to choose from. Because he has an end time work to do and he wants the church, the remnant of it, to have a big part in it. We've come to understand that the Jews are not going to build a temple. Christ divorced them in Matthew 23 and told them he would have nothing to do with them until they accepted the ministry that he sent. And they still haven't done that. They never did accept the apostles, and they never did accept the the man that he sent here at the end either. They have not accepted God's ways. Uh, We have a few uh, Messianic Jews who are basically just Protestants, even though some of them keep the Sabbath. Uh, that they've some ald- always done, but they were doing that in Christ's day, and that wasn't enough. Uh, they were hypocrites, snakes and whitened walls, if you will. So he's not going to use them for his purposes. He has been busy, and these last since 1926 and 27, developing a people. And when we were not what we were supposed to be in Worldwide, he knew that would occur, and he said what he would do, and that is spew us out, which is exactly what happened, and the Worldwide would die, which happened. It's dead in the water. A few names remain, but it's gone. Now, we might have had our ideas about who the different groups were in the past, who Sardis was, because we wanted to be Philadelphian, Mr. Armstrong thought so, uh, but that's not the way it turned out. He said he would protect Philadelphia from the tribulation, and worldwide is not being protected from the tribulation. What's left of it is going on in. They're keeping Sunday and Easter and Christmas and all the Protestant stuff. They don't exist as a, an entity of God anymore. So worldwide turned out to be Sardis. I have no doubt of that at this point. And Laodicea followed that because we were spewed out, but we never saw Philadelphia. Now why? Because there had to be a period of repentance from being spewed. And enough people, 10%, have to repent enough that God will call them to build His temple, to build Jerusalem, and then be protected in Zion from the tribulation. Those will be the Philadelphians. In between Sardis, who is dead with a few names left, and Laodicea, of whom some repent. You can't do the work of God if you've been Laodicean until you repent. We have to become what we should be. Now, he tells us there in Haggai that the glory of the latter temple will far exceed that of the former temple, And that there will be old men still around who can compare the two and see that indeed the spiritual level of the latter temple will have improved a great deal over what we were in the former temple. And most of those who will comprise that remnant will have been part of the former temple. They will have been... Dispute, they will have repented, and they will have be recalled. God says he will uh, stir them to come and build the temple. So it is his stirring or his calling, if you will. Call it a stir, call it a call. Uh, he will let them know who they are. He let you know that he was calling you at some point the first time. And he will have a way of letting those people know what is going on where. We may review some of that if we get to it today. So he has a work for his end time temple. And part of that work is being a light to the whole world from Zion. So we have to be, spiritually, what we ought to be in order to be a light to the world. So that puts a great deal of responsibility on us. Now back to the original thought. God put the responsibility on a lot of men throughout history, and they had to accept the responsibility, and they had to live up to the calling that God gave them. I think Herbert Armstrong did that. There are people who have all kinds of things to say about him that are negative. And indeed, he had his problems as a human being. And that's part of the difficulty we have when God begins to use men to do parts of his work. We're human. We're frail. We have weaknesses. We have wrong attitudes. All of us. And we all have to overcome those things, because you're one of those who's been called to come here to do a job, to prepare the way. And some are still here preparing it, and some have rebelled and gone their own way and decided they wanted to steal God's land and lie about it and file lawsuits about it because they got greedy and they didn't. Really, in essence, trust me, they'd been given a 50-year lease. That's essentially the same as ownership, especially when it said it could be renewed. What it did was kept them from selling the land to outsiders. That was the whole point of the lease. Now, I'm going to do a sermon at some point here. I don't know when. And it talks about the Jubilee and explains that they were never to sell the land. I just read it the other day. They were to have a 50-year lease is what it amounted to. God divided the land with Joshua, and each family was given a certain amount of land. Now, they could, if you want to say it and not use that word, they could sell it. But it went back to the original family after 50 years. Every jubilee, the land was returned to the original families. That way, if somebody mismanaged the family land and didn't use it right, the rest of the family did not suffer for that but got their land back. So what you did, if you wanted to farm a piece of land and somebody else was in a state where they needed some money, you could lease it. Or they could convey it to you for as many years as were left in the Jubilee. If it was in the 20th year of the cycle, then you had fifty-year, a 30-year lease. If it was in the 40th year of the cycle, you had a 10-year lease. Or maybe 9, because the 50th is when it went back. But in ancient Israel, they did not have titles in that sense, except a title that was only good for X number of years in the 50-year cycle. Now, that's the way I set this up. But some rebelled against it. And you know what? God knew this whole thing ahead of time. He knew there would be a rebellion here. He says in Zechariah there that some will be cast out. And he tells us in Jeremiah 11 what is going to happen to the rebels. They're going into the tribulation to the sword and to famine, and they will all be killed, he says. Now, that's sad. I hope in the short time that is left, there is repentance of some. But I don't count on it because it even says in that chapter, don't pray for this people, they will not repent. Now, that's a sad thing. Now, I have prayed for them. I do ask God that they might repent, but maybe I shouldn't. I mean, I'm trying to be good to and have patience with and love for my enemies. So I pray that they'll be in God's kingdom. And I'm not praying in that sense that they don't go into... Maybe the way I'm praying is okay. Maybe I don't have to stop it. The way I'm approaching it, for what it's worth, is to say, I know that they probably will not repent and will go into tribulation, as Jeremiah 11 says. But my prayer for them is that before they're killed or die in that, that they will repent ahead of time and still be in God's kingdom. Because when they leave here... And go into famine and the sword, there may be a space of time where there is a startling wake up to reality. And hopefully there will be repentance. I don't want to see any of them miss out on the kingdom of God. I want them to all be there, like I want us to all be there. I don't want to see anybody miss it. It is such a wonderful future throughout all eternity with everything the way that it ought to be with all the things that man has ever dreamed of in a good way, being there. I don't want anybody to miss it. God doesn't want anyone to miss it. And he is going to do his level best to get every human being there. But he does say that even though all Israel will be saved, and a great deal of the Gentiles will be saved, He does say there will be gnashing, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. So there are some few who apparently will rebel to the very end. But you and I have opportunity, and let's understand this, to be part of the end-time latter temple of the work of God and to be a light to the world, and to help reconcile them to God. So I may be right here, the spokesman, but we're all part of the ministry of reconciliation. Ministry means service, a service of helping people reconcile to God. Now, Herbert Armstrong, I think, fulfilled his part of that. He misunderstood, I think, some of his calling, as I've said before. He thought he was to be fulfilling Matthew 24, 14, preach the gospel around the world, and the end would come. He said that thousands of times. I heard him, I don't know, at least hundreds I heard him say that. But what I finally came to realize after it was all said and done his job was to fill fulfill Matthew 28, the last couple of verses, 19 and 20 or whatever it is, 16 and 18, I don't remember. But that was to go out and call a lot of people from the world. And his message was primarily a friendly and calling message. He did preach some pretty strong Prophecy, As I recall when I was a kid, he'd get back into Ezekiel and some of those things and talk about the devastation coming on this country. But it eventually morphed into more of a give and get message. There is a way to give and there's a way to be greedy and get. Well, that was a friendly calling message overall. He took it to kings and rulers. He took it out over the broadcast, and then Ted did not preach a real strong message of repentance either. He preached mostly there is a God, and against evolution for a lot of years. used to frustrate me greatly, uh, but that's what he could do, and in one sense, that may have been what God intended all along is that they would get a message of there is a God's way is to give and serve and that there is a God. Most people on earth don't recognize that there is a true living God. And to understand that there had to be a creator God is the first part of the main message. So through that work, Through its ups and downs, through its uh, errors, through everything that it was, he got that message out there and many people were called. Now you might say some of these Protestant evangelists are calling more people than he did. Catholic Church has a lot more members. Mormon Church has a lot more members. A lot of them do. But when you understand God's plan, and that the 144,000 are the only ones to be in the first resurrection, that's all he needs. He didn't need to call 10 million people to choose 144,000 out of. Now, if you believe the erroneous idea that there's an innumerable multitude included in the first resurrection... Then he would have called many, many millions, and it would have been innumerable. But that's not what he did. In fact, looking back, the church at its greatest number was perhaps 150,000, and that includes dogs, cats, children, and grandmothers and grandfathers who went along who weren't part of the church. And many died during it. But all he needs is 144,000. Now you look back, he's covered. It's all he needed. It's all he called. And he's only got to use 10% of them to build the latter temple. That's very clear through many scriptures. So out of the ones that were called, many were called, that 50 to 200,000, whatever were there through from 26 until he died in 86 is all he needed as a pool to draw from to fulfill his purposes as stated in scripture so he did that he accomplished that he didn't accomplish preaching the gospel around the world as a witness And the end would come because he died in 1986 and the end still hasn't come The end is in sight, you might say, but it hasn't come. We're in it now. But he's not part of it. That wasn't his job. Now, I think God allowed him to think Matthew 24, 14 was his job so that it would spur him to do the job that God did have for him. He did the same thing with the early apostles. He let them think. That he was returning in their lifetime. And they so preached and so wrote. We got to get ready. He's coming soon. I could quote you all kinds of scriptures. That say that in different words. Throughout the New Testament. But they were wrong. They were totally wrong. It was going to be 2,000 years. And they did not have a clue of that. Now I think. Two or three of them may have begun to realize that before they died. And I'm certainly realized it as they were killed that he wasn't coming back in their lifetime because I'm dying and he ain't here yet. So at some point they came to recognize it isn't right now. So does that make Herbert Armstrong a false prophet because he didn't have prophecy and timing down? I have my ideas of timing. I might be wrong. I'm not off much if I'm off, but could be a little bit wrong, because we see the beast rising up right in front of our eyes right now, this very day, and the mark being imposed upon us with the absolute intent of killing 90% of the population of the world. Just read this morning, they've got a new disease they're concocting that they'll want you to get vaccinated for. Uh, just in case this one doesn't get enough people. They got more tricks in their bag, believe it. And now even some in the government are warning that you'd better get ready because you're not going to have food and propane and gasoline and coal this winter. A lot of people are going to go with cold houses. And it's being done on purpose to destroy this nation. So, Herbert Armstrong fulfilled the job that he was given. And you can read Isaiah 37 through 39. And the things that happened to Hezekiah pretty much happened to him. He was sickened to death as Hezekiah was. And God healed him and he went on another about 15 years. And after he died, essentially in peace, his sons became eunuchs in the world. Now, Zechariah 5 makes it very clear that two unclean animals would carry the church into Babylon and set it on its base. Now, that's right in the context of the end-time church and the two witnesses. Chapter 4 talks about them. Chapter 6 talks about them. But chapter 4 talks about a flying roll which was the size of the tabernacle with the Ten Commandments being carried into Babylon by two unclean birds and then having a lead weight smashed in its mouth to shut it up. And if that isn't a perfect description of worldwide, I don't know what is. The Tkachas were certainly unclean birds. And they took it right back into the mishmash of Babylonian religion and set it on its base there, and you never heard any more from them because God shut them up. And Jodocotch challenged God and died. God strike me dead if, he said. And Joe was pagan from the start, Jr perfectly described in Ezekiel 17 about how they would do that and now how God is going to pluck a green twig from the dead tree. Dead tree? Sardis. Worldwide. Green twig. And start over and build something better. And all those who went out and trying to redo of Herbert Armstrong. If, if you don't, because they are not strong in his job, and he calls you. Now God is going to choose you and stir them up and build his temple in Jerusalem and be a light to the world and part broadcasting who God is to the world. Now they've been prepared to degree even by Ted who told them there is a God. Now they need to have the message of, yes, there is a God, and you had better obey Him, or you're going to have all kinds of trouble. That gospel must be preached around the world as a witness, and when it is done, the end will come. In fact, three days, three and a half after they die, at the hands of the world... The first resurrection will occur. They will have preached it around the world as a witness and will be in the streets of Jerusalem before the beast and the false prophet and be killed at their feet. That is the end of it. And it'll all be going on TV and whatever other means there is at the time because the whole world will rejoice. And have a party and send gifts to each other. We whoop them. And then they're going to be scared to death when Christ returns, and they rise out of the street to meet Christ in the air. That's Matthew 24:14, finished. Now, how have Herbert Armstrong's sons? been eunuchs in Babylon. I'm right there right now. Of your sons that shall issue from you, which you shall beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon, just like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel were. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, Good is the word of the Eternal which you have spoken He said, moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. And Herbert Armstrong died in a time of essentially world peace. He died uh, with truth. So he fulfilled this type. But his sons had been going out, the flurries and the day packs and the living church and the, the... United Church of God, trying to build a big work to preach the gospel around the world and finish the work that Herbert Armstrong didn't get finished. They've never gotten off the idea that that's what they ought to be doing, but they're not accomplishing it. Where do you see a worldwide work coming now? Where do you see TV and radio all over like it was during worldwide? Well, they got a few stations here and there, a few of them. But they're not growing. They're slowly getting smaller and smaller. And they have a few who are attracted by whatever it is they're preaching. And they come in the front door and some more go out the back door. And some of those who just came in the front door went out the back door. And there's nothing really going on. They may be there and they may be trying to engender children, but they're eunuchs and it can't happen. God uses that analogy. Units just don't produce children. And that's where the church is today. Now God is going to stir some of the children that were called during that era, and He will use them to perform a mighty work. And you've been called ahead of time to be part of that. Don't be a Jonah. (laughs) Don't say, well, I stutter. Don't say, well, I whatever. Say, you called me here for a purpose. Help me to do whatever it is you want done. One of my frequent prayers is, who, what, why, where, when, and how. The six questions you ask about any project. God, show me what to do, when to do it, how to do it, where to do it, and with whom. All six of those questions. Because I'm not smart enough to know. And we all came from the weak and the base. And therefore, we have to have the power of God's Spirit. And he even said that in so many words there in Zechariah 4. Not by might, not by power. But by my spirit says he eternal. So how do we prepare for the job that is ahead of us? We cry out for his spirit to guide us, to lead us, to help us grow, to help us overcome, to help us be what we ought to be. That's how we prepare. Because we don't know for sure when they're all coming and how they're all coming. And what they're all going to need, God is going to have to supply. So that was the end of Herbert Armstrong's work there. At the end of Isaiah 39, Hezekiah was, and uh, and uh, Herbert Armstrong, I have no doubt, were types. Just another thought there that comes to mind is. Uh, Hezekiah showed all of the treasures of God to the Assyrian. Herbert Armstrong went all over the world showing the treasures, the physical things. Not just the message, but the jet airplanes, the auditorium, had the world come in and give concerts in it, all kinds of things that might not have been quite needed. I don't know. But it was kind of the same way that Hezekiah did. And then God took all those things away. We don't have the auditorium anymore. I think they even tore down the administration building, a beautiful building, uh, the Loma D. Armstrong Center that they built while I was in college. I drove by one day, Uh, not too many years ago, and they had wrecking balls out there tearing it down at the very moment I drove by. Most of it had been demolished. I could see from Orange Grove Boulevard across the Italian gardens, and it was just simply disappearing. Most of it was gone. So that all fell apart and went away. And the Takachas went through the money and then washed it Had to sell it and became some little Protestant something somewhere. I don't even know where nor care because it's dead. It's gone. Buried in Babylon. So now let's look at chapter 40 because here is the beginning of the reconciliation of the end time church to God which will spread from a tiny green twig taken off a dead tree in Hezekiah, Ezekiel 17. It will grow. God starts small. Fear not little flock, he says. So he says, comfort you, comfort you, my people, says your God. Now that's what I've been trying to get across to you now for several weeks and for the last 25 years really is that God is going to send deliverance. He is going to comfort His end-time church. And from Isaiah 40 onward, that's what it's talking about. Now, before that, it was talking about the end-time church under Herbert Armstrong. From 40 on... It is going to be those whom he is calling now to do the job. And it is a message of comfort. Speak you comfortably to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received of the Eternal's hand double for all her sins. Now, when you look at the scattering that occurred and all the trials, troubles, and tribulations and confusion that the church has been in, especially since 1986, then that is double for the sins. And God is saying, I'm going to call a remnant out of that and bless them in ways that are beyond their comprehension. In the end time. And we can show that. The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the eternal, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, that it wasn't Herbert Armstrong's job, that wasn't what he did. Now, it was a spiritual wilderness, yes. But God says there in Ezekiel 17, He took him to a merchant city, Pasadena. He went there because there was a lot of broadcasting facility available. There were a lot of things available there that weren't in Oregon. So it was the southwest, (coughs) actually desert area, That the work emanated from in the first place. Southern California is desert. Nearly all of it. So he may have been in the desert, but he was in the city. Well, he tells the end time ones, come out of the city and go to the wilderness. Be even in Babylon, but in the wilderness. So he is clearly setting it up in the desert area. Not only will there be spiritual rain, there will be physical rain. He, he couldn't do this, as I've said before, in the Willamette Valley. He couldn't do it maybe in Pennsylvania because the desert will bloom as a rose. <laughs> and those places already bloom. He's got to do it in a place where it will be so clear and so obvious it is the hand of God that no one could refute it. They might deny it, but they couldn't refute it. So he moved Herbert Armstrong to the southwest, and he says there in Amos that the gospel will be available from coast to coast, from north to south, I think to the east, and the only quadrant it leaves out is the southwest, because that's where it will be available. It's where Zion is, and the word will go out from Zion. It's very clear, very simple, very easy to understand. So he says, Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be low, made low, and the crooked made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Eternal shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, (coughs) for the mouth of the Eternal has spoken it. So this is a message that will be delivered in the wilderness, in the desert, and it will reveal the glory of God. Now where I'm headed today, and I hope I get there, I think I will is that God is going to uncover His treasures, and the whole world will know from the east to the west that He is God. And I happen to know that those treasures of God are in the southwest. I've seen too much proof of it now over the last 14 years, and over the last 27 years, really. Since I learned that Zion was the place. And that a place had to be prepared here in the area near Zion. Not at Zion. Near. Because we don't go to Zion until the beast and the false prophet violate the temple. And then you go there. So God didn't clear it out and put us there yet. In fact, He put us just on the outside with the Canaan mountains in between. And we've not been able to go in yet. But the time is coming when that will occur. Now, is this talking about the millennium? No, it's talking about before Christ returns, make a straight place ahead of time. And the glory of God will be revealed there. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? What what do you want said? All flesh is grass, and all the godliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the Spirit of the Eternal blows on it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So the beginning of the message of the latter temple will be what? The 90% plus of the population of the earth, before it is all finished, will be destroyed. And only 100 million left, as Daniel says. Now, Satan and the world are telling us right now, through their politicians and different ones, that they intend to destroy at least 90% of mankind. That's their goal. That's their purpose. That's why they developed COVID. That's why they developed a kill shot. To so-called prevent it. And why, even though it's been proved people are dying right and left as a result of it, and it doesn't immunize you against COVID, they're still pushing it hard. Because they know they've designed it to kill over a period of about three years. A lot of people are going to get sick that haven't yet, and they're going to die. It's what it's designed for. Well, that's the message. The grass withers and dies. The people wither and dies as the people is as grass. Now that's for the whole world. And the two witnesses before this are done are going to come out of the desert and go tell the whole world what is happening and why. And after they die, the seven last plagues are going to start. And this whole thing will get finished. But then he has comfortable words for his remnant. Verse 9. O Zion that bring good tidings, get you up into the high mountain of Jerusalem. You that bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. So in the midst of all the grass of the earth being destroyed, it will be said to his remnant people, Behold your God. It is God who is doing all this. It's not Fauci. It's not Biden. It's not the Rothschilds. It's God letting Satan do it, and he's the one using those people. Now God will use his righteous converted people to get his message out, while Satan will use the rest of them to get his message out. And they will do lying signs and wonders so great that even the very elect would be deceived if it were possible. But you're here keeping the Feast of Tabernacles, and I don't want to get into too much of the negative side of this that's happening to the world, I want us to understand that there is a pre-millennium period of time when God is going to give us a microcosm of the millennium. He's going to give those people dwelling in Zion on His holy mountain everything that the millennium will have. And the two will be able to hold that up to the world and tell them there is a God If you would obey Him, you would have everything like those people at Zion have. But they won't buy it. But it's got to be told them. Behold, the eternal God, verse 10, will come with a strong hand, and His arm shall rule for Him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. Now, that projects into the millennium, yes. But it is something that starts here and then carries through into the millennium. That's what we have to grasp. Reconciliation is a process. God's plan recalls for reconciliation of the few and then those left in the millennium And those who come up in the second resurrection, all people will have opportunity to be reconciled to God. And we are among the first to be offered that reconciliation. That's why he says, fast for the right reasons in Isaiah 58, and you will be healers of the breach. You reconcile the breach between man and God, and it starts with the few. That's the way he began it with the apostles, a few. And it grew until so many tens of thousands were part of the church. I'm sure out of that group, a lot of the 144,000 will be drawn, and a few in the Middle Ages and whenever. But the primary groups will be those in the apostolic age and those in the end time age. That's why God had Herbert Armstrong call enough who responded to God's call. It was the Father making the call through the man. I don't care what you think of the man. God used the man to call some people. And I don't care what you think of the men at the end. God is going to use them to preach His gospel around the world. Then here is a synopsis or an outline of what the message is all about. God lays it out. And he is going to call one who will be his righteous branch, his signet, as Haggai too says, who will rule for him. But he is going to come and dwell with us and direct this whole thing from down here. I don't have time to go through all of this today. Let me see if I can get to this one part. Then he talks about how all the nations are a drop in the bucket and before him is nothing on through chapter 40. And he's going to tell us in verse 31 about what he's going to do for us in part. They that wait upon the eternal shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and faint not. We're going to get to some scriptures about how he's going to heal the lame and the blind and the deaf. So that they can do a work. Because most of us are getting so old we couldn't carry a brick if we needed to. Chapter 41. Keep silence before me, O islands, and let the people renew their strength. They'll be renewed. And then he talks about raising up a righteous man from the east. Called him to his foot and put the nations before him, that's what Zerubbabel is going to be. He'll have the power of God. Well, I think I know who the man is. And he was born in the northeast, and his work right now is in the very east, on the east coast. The man who will come from the east to the west and do the job. Then he talks about being of good courage in uh, verse 6 of chapter 41 I'm in. And then he says, don't fear to Jacob in verse 10. I'm with you. Be not dismayed. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. And everybody that's against you is against you. I will confound and they shall perish. Verse 11. Then he says, fear not, worm Jacob in verse 14, and says he'll make us a sharp threshing instrument. Well, the two witnesses are going to be a pretty sharp threshing instrument and send plagues and blood and all kinds of things after the manner of Egypt. So this fits perfectly with the latter church. He says he'll plant seven trees in the wilderness in verse 19. Churches are referred to as trees in the Bible and as women. What does he say there in Zechariah 3? That I'll set before Joshua a stone, and the eyes of the seven churches will be on that stone, and he will do signs and wonders. Christ is the stone. He's the chief cornerstone. That's the stone spoken of there, and he is the one who will do the signs and the wonders, not the man God may use men to anoint or to raise up like he has in the past, but it'll be God doing the work, no question about it. Then he says, there's none that hears in verse 26. Who's declared these things from the beginning that we may know? Well, from the beginning of the end time ladder temple, there's only one voice that he's raised up so far. To give this message. There's only one. That we may say he is righteous. Who? The man giving the story? No. The righteous man from the east is what the story is about. Because he's the leader. He's the signet. He's the righteous arm of God. That's who we're talking about. He says, there's none that shows, there's none that declares, there is none that hears your words. How many people are listening to this? They're not hearing it. It says, the first shall say to Zion, behold, behold them. What are we preaching about? The two that will come. And I will give to Jerusalem one that brings good tidings. No one's telling that. True Church, Jerusalem today, the good tidings of all these things that are coming, except one place. For I beheld, and there was no man, even among them, there was no counselor, that when I asked of them could answer a word. They don't have a clue about what's about to come. Don't have a clue. None of them. United doesn't. Jerry Flurry doesn't. David Pack doesn't. None of them. no. What is about to happen? And worldwide, whatever name it is now, certainly has no clue. They are all vanity. Their works are nothing. Their molten images are wind and confusion. Is there still confusion out there? (laughs) Oh, you bet. Uh, Let's go on. I want to get over... He says in here several times, you are my witnesses. He's not referring to the two there. He's referring to the latter temple there. You are my witnesses that I am God. So you have a responsibility here to answer to. If God has called you and given you this knowledge, you are responsible for it. You can't shirk it or you'll be in trouble with him. Some have, and they're in trouble with him. Verse 8 of chapter 43, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your seed from the east and gather you from the west. I'll say to the north, Give up, and to the south, Keep not back. Bring my sons from afar for everyone that is called by my name, for I have created created him for my glory. I have formed him. Go down to verse 10. You are my witnesses, says the Eternal. We just read a verse that says it's more than two. He's bringing them from the north, south, east, and west, around the world, wherever they've been called and now stirred to come. This is still talking about the same job. Verse verse 12, down at the bottom. You are my witnesses that I am God. Who's going to witness that he is God except those whom he's called and showed himself to be God to? That's the only ones he can use. You're among them. You're hearing it. What are you going to do with it? it says in verse nineteen, "Behold, I will do a new thing; now it shall spring forth, and you shall know it. I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert." So he's reiterating what he said in chapter 40, verse 27. Does some of the mud stick when you throw it on the wall about Herbert Armstrong? Yeah, your first father has sinned, and your teachers have transgressed against me. That's why he blew them all out. Therefore, I I have profaned the princes of the sanctuary and have given Jacob to the curse and Israel to reproaches. That's what happened to the church. But, chapter 40 says, 44, he says, Yet now hear, O Jacob. He says, This is what happened to you. This is what I did to your leaders. But listen up. Thus says the eternal, it made you and formed you from the womb. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, whom I've chosen for I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground I will from my spirit upon your pour my spirit upon your seed and my blessing upon your offspring doesn't he tell us at the end of Joel 2 they'll have our young people and our old people our maidens and everyone dream dreams and have visions yeah it's what it's talking about right here at the end they'll spring up Verse 8, fear you not. I'm skipping over a lot, but I'm trying to get a message across. Have not I told you from that time and have declared it? You even are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? No, there is no God. I know not any. So he's leading up to something here. Uh, Verse 21 of 44. Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant, I formed you. Sing, O you heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, you mountains, O forest, and every tree therein. For the Eternal has redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. He hasn't changed the context at all from verse 1 of chapter 40. It is a continuing story. He's telling the story of how he is going to begin to reconcile the church and then later the world. And I said I'd keep this short, so I'm going to stop right there. We'll have a hymn. We'll see you at lunch.